Hi, my name is Linda McKay and I'm with Big Data Trunk, a corporate training uh, company. We deal with learning and development professionals. And one of the things that we've noticed is you face very similar challenges in your work. Uh, you have to deal with uh, pivoting when, when COVID hit, the impact of AI is coming. Uh, how do you measure success, creating culturally sensitive content? It's something, it's, it's something you all have to do. And we thought it would be helpful to create a forum where you could share information with each other. And to that end, uh, we are interviewing professionals in your field. Uh, the interview we have today is with Grace Sternford. Grace is with um, Medical uh, MSH Management Sciences for Health based in uh, Massachusetts. So without further ado, let's uh, have the interview with Grace. Thanks. Grace, hi, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about uh, who you're working for and, and a little bit about uh, about yourself. I'm going to ask you some questions about how you got into L&D, but let's start with uh, where you are right now and your position and what you're doing. Sure, yeah. So um, right now I'm working as the learning and development manager at a company called Management Sciences for Health, typically goes by MSH. Um, and we are a global nonprofit advisory organization that works with a variety of local partners, sometimes governments, uh, sometimes health groups, private sector, to do a wide range of different projects, but that are all aimed at strengthening the local health system. So it's sort of all about improving the health um, in the country. So. And and where where are you located? Are you? It's an international uh, company, I assume. It is international. We have uh, offices uh, offices in Massachusetts and DC, but then uh, are in forty eight countries around the world right now, or somewhere. Somewhere right. Uh, and you, sorry, and and you have the responsibility for um, managing learning and development in all of those countries. Is that is that correct? That is correct. Interesting challenge. Uh, so the other thing, you know, when you and I spoke before, I, I found that you had an interesting path into L and D. Um, so you you come from a fine arts background, I think. So tell me a little bit about how that how that worked. Like what 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 brought you over into the L and D sphere? It seems quite different than what you were doing. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I I ended up at MSH really kind of quite by accident um, and just got sort of pulled in by the mission um, and the, you know, the work that we're doing. Um, it's very, it's really inspiring when you, when you, you know, hear some stories and some of the results and the things that we've been able to do uh, in the countries in which we work. And I found uh, kind of a niche for myself um, in the company doing mostly operational training. Um, there was a huge need to just help people understand how to get an invoice submitted, uh, you know, how to procure something. We get a lot of government funding, so there are a lot of rules. Um, so, you know, helping putting together little cheat sheets and flowcharts and checklists mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and that just kind of sort of became more and more of my job. Um, through a number of systems implementations, I was brought in to do uh, you know, the instructions and the user training for a couple different new uh, systems that we've implemented mm -hmm. over the years. Um, yeah, just sort of, was really sort of doing um, learning for a while and then eventually got scooped up and brought into HR. Okay, so the transition really has moved out of more technical process training into a, a wider sphere. So your training covers much more now than than the technical. Okay, and I, I assume that would be, you know, personal training, management training, that kind of thing. Is that is yeah. that what you offer? Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, leadership and management is a big focus right now. 
Right. And and uh, so and how big is your your group that you work with in, in L and D and your company? So the the talent development team is three. Mm. three. So that's uh, quite it a was challenge. One for a number of years. So even three. <laughs> <laughs> Is expansion, but we support uh, 1,800 staff, mm. 1,600 of whom are outside the U.S., um, and 88% of whom are from the country or region in which they work. Um, That's interesting. So it's, so not, you... it's not sort of U.S. staff that have that have relocated to Nigeria, for example. It's Nigerians working in Nigeria. So that's interesting. You must. There must be many challenges related to that sort of training rollout. Uh, so you have three people, obviously you don't speak all those languages. Um, and so tell me a little bit about what it's like, uh, you know, what are the challenges and, and maybe how, how you've overcome some of those. Like when you're rolling training out, uh, management training to 18 or 48 countries, you know, what, what, are the, what are the kinds of things you have to check off on your checklist? What do you have to do? Um, well, there are a number of uh, sort of different areas you have to think about. Um, you need to take into account uh, the cultures in which we work, um, particularly like just thinking of, of leadership management training. There are very different um, sort of cultural norms around what it means to be a manager, what it means to be someone's boss in some of the, the places that we work. And you need to find out what those are and, um, you know, try to take that into account, you know, when you're designing your materials, you want everyone to feel like you're speaking to them. And so that means you need to understand you know, where they're at. Um, and then just on the technical side, there are a lot of challenges. Language, that's a challenge. You need to be able to manage uh, translation and having you know, multiple language versions of everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then connectivity also in the places we work is mm -hmm. a really challenge. Um, internet connectivity in some cases electric electrical just you know being connected to, to electricity can mm. is not necessarily a given uh in some of the places we work so um while we do i think make pretty good use of the technology that we have at our disposal we also at the same time can never trust that, that will necessarily be available to everyone you always need to have kind of an offline um you know a pdf powerpoint something that can be printed Okay, that makes sense. I'm, I'm curious about the cultural uh, challenges, <clears throat> well, language as well. But you've had three people. How, how do you how do you how do you feel? How do you have confidence that um, that you're that you're rolling out something that is culturally sensitive? How, how what what are the kinds of things you do? How do you who do you engage with to help you with that? Because you clearly can't do it with three with just three. How do you yeah. manage that? Um, well, so we. We try and work with, um, you know, the staff that have that knowledge, the staff that are based in that country, the mm -hmm. staff that support the staff based in that country. We have a number of uh, people who've been in the international development field for many, many years, have a lot of experience living in many of these different countries. Um, you know, I mean, the short, the short answer is you have to go out and ask and ask and ask and ask again, uh, you know, something that I've found and that I'm still somewhat surprised by is uh, how little people will volunteer to you. You mm. really do have to go out and ask. Um, you know, I mean, you could design a training that's just completely tone deaf and you won't know unless you're really, um, you know, pressing for that, for that feedback. That's um, an interesting experience. I, I wonder why you think uh, that people aren't worth forthcoming. Do you think that they don't have an expectation that it can be more culturally sensitive? 
I think so. I think it's a combination of factors. I think there's that. Um, you know, I think in 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 some places and at, and at times we are working against, uh, you know, sort of the general sense that you know we're we're, we're corporate and that we don't mm. you know we don't care about the the little guy or or you know the the people on the ground. Um, sometimes um, people are just busy too. Also, you know, I mean. You know, do you think just any time that you've, you know, watched a tutorial video or something and felt like, oh, this isn't great, you know, it takes an extra, takes extra moments for you to then put in writing why it wasn't great. No, it's a really good. Uh, so good it, you just sort of think it to yourself, maybe you say it to the person next to you, and that's as far as it goes. You know, it occurs to me that everyone is, everyone in LD is challenged by this. Um, because even if you're rolling something out across the United States, there's cultural differences. Yours is just uh, exacerbated by the, you know, it's, it's bigger. You have a bigger, mm -hmm. a bigger set of problems, but probably not completely different than. Oh no. Other face. No, and, and yeah, and the, the the sort of the way that you, you know, everything we we're just talking about, sort of you know, going out and, and really pushing for feedback. I mean, that's sort of a basic adult learning principle of, you know, trying to involve the learner and give them a sense of ownership and responsibility and agency. So, yeah, no, I don't think it's it's necessarily different, but I think the fact that we know we work in all these countries really, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that we don't forget. And maybe in some ways that's an advantage because you, you have an expectation that you need to deal with these differences and, and potentially in U.S. people don't. Um, so I'm really curious, what, has there been something that really surprised you, really, you know, that you would never expect that it would be culturally insensitive or, or is this something that, that worked or didn't work that they really took you by surprise? Um, I mean, I can remember this is um, sort of less about training design, but, but just sort of about the, sort of the, 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 the technicalities of, of the things that we roll out. There was a, uh, a time when we really needed people to one of these certification course things and we needed we were trying to get people to enter basic uh, demographic information you know mm -hmm. full name um, address birth date um, now all of those fields are challenging <laughs> just even just something like someone's you think like oh first and last name right yeah. not every country has first and last names. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a challenge um, address also for a lot of the people we're working with you know, that don't really have that kind of structured um, system of addresses that, that you might be used to in the US. But then the thing that, that really surprised me is that um, people were refusing to give their birthday. Mm. They wouldn't, wouldn't do it. Um, because in uh, some of the countries in which we work, I think the particular issue was in Uganda, there's just such a strong um, uh, age discrimination is such a, mm. a major issue that people will really go to great lengths uh, not to divulge their age, um, you know, and kind of came back to us and said, you're not going to give you your birthday. You got to take that off because. So you just took it off. In that case, we were able to remove that. Yeah. 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 How interesting and unexpected, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember the first time I dealt with foreign addresses and it was basically turn left at the White House, you know, <laughs> how do you structure that? <laughs> See, it's quite interesting. Um, so when you roll, when you roll out your, your training, um, like, do you, what is the, what is the cadence? Is it something, do you do new things every year? What, or is it 
uh, beefing up stuff that's already there. What what's the cadence of training rollout that you do? You know, I'm I wouldn't necessarily say that there is necessarily much of a cadence in the sense that um, you know what what we're rolling out in any given year depends on both the need and the resources that are available. So there have mm -hmm. absolutely been years where you know updating the annual ethics training is all that's that's for that year that's what we're mm -hmm. able to do um mm -hmm. other years like you know this past year we have been able to roll out uh leadership management training um you know we are hoping to have a phase two in the coming year and did your training change i know that um you know we're past COVID and and uh, you've dealt with whatever technical uh, challenges but did did your training rollout have to change dramatically because you were already doing in some ways very asynchronous sort of training you weren't doing in-person training in all these countries um so has it affected how you're doing training now did, did that uh did the COVID pandemic affect what you're doing now change it in some way i would say it changed it really most within the u.s you know we used to have these two u.s offices in boston and dc with a large uh, staff presence who are physically in those offices so oftentimes training you know for that audience will be done in person Mm -hmm. um, we no longer have that. And so now, you know, someone who works out of the DC office might as well work out of the South Africa office because mm. they're going to be connecting remotely mm. as well. And that's a permanent change. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. Now, did that change your staffing? Because if you were doing in-person training, was your staff responsible for the in-person training as well? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you now you're freed up to do other things. <laughs> yes, I suppose. Yeah. Although, you know, uh, it's like uh, um, like making room in your purse. It doesn't stay empty for long. <laughs> and also, did did it? Uh, you're still doing potentially one-on-one uh, -on -one training, but it's just over Zoom or over some sort of media. But you're still taking the time. You still have to take the time to do uh, yeah. the training. Okay, that makes yeah. Sense. I mean, you know, whether you're facilitating a session to people who are in the room or to people who are on the screen, that's mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that you mentioned when we spoke before was that how you saw L&D as being hel a helping profession. It was an interesting perspective of, of, of what it is. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what does that mean to you when you talk about L&D and, and uh, being a helping profession? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, at its at its core, that that's that's what we're doing uh, in L&D is we're, we're helping. We're helping people to figure out how to do something. We're helping people to learn how to do something better. We're helping people to develop skill that they they want to develop. Um, you know, we're sort of we're connecting the knowledge with the people that need the knowledge. Mm -hmm. yes. And are those the rewards for you in the in this job? I'm sorry. Are those the rewards for you? Like when you see that happening? Yeah. Is that the yeah. reward for you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. When when you hear from someone that oh, this finally makes sense, or, you know, that something's working so much better or faster now, or, you know, something that you provided really helped them connect the dots in a way they never had before. That's, that's, that's very fulfilling. And also what you're doing enables people to advance in some way in their own careers, their own professions, Hopefully. their own development, right? Hopefully, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> that would be the goal. That would be the goal. Um, the other thing we talked about was, um, you know, that the, the future of L and D, and maybe what with with uh, what happened in the pandemic, that it raised the bar in some way. Uh, talk talk a little bit about that. What does that mean when when you see the benefit of it? What to your profession? Yeah, I mean, I I hope anyway that the fact that there are now that, that so much more learning is online and so many more people are consumers of online learning, that that will over time sort of have the effect of, um, of, of raising the bar in the sense that, you know, uh, an audience of people who are used to online learning will probably have higher expectations of what that online learning is gonna be. You know, someone uh, who, you know, we may be even experience a lot of online learning as part of high school and college and stuff. They're going to expect that any online learning that they take is going to be have participatory elements. They're going to expect to see the, the you know, chat exchange. They're going to expect to see videos from their instructor. They're going to expect, um, or at least I hope, that's what I hope, um, you know, is that that people will, will have seen uh, sort of what e-learning can be at its best and we'll start you know, really expecting that and, and demanding that of, of their Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I I, I, I realize I, I've experienced that in my own. I, I was looking for a class and I rejected some, some and they were just, you know, old fashioned. And I think they were old fashioned because they just repeated the in-person experience with an online experience. There was nothing more. Uh, and so it was, but I think what you're talking about is really a full complex, um, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can deliver information to people, engage with people. And, and now we have an opportunity to do that. You know, that's, that's an interesting, and, and do you feel that the, the training that you're rolling out, it starts to encompass some of those um, more inclusive aspects so you can engage people in different, in different ways? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you know, again, I sort of hope so. Um, you know, we, we, really try to take a blended approach where there is some content delivery online, but also uh, some sort of element of group discussion, mm. um, you know, some uh, in the leadership and management program, for example, if that's what we're doing, we're using uh, sort of a standard online course format for a lot of the, uh, the content delivery, but then really the, I think most of the learning and the development is happening in small discussion groups where people are getting together and talking about the content that they read that week um, and doing specific sort of guided activities, having a discussion that's been, you know, sort of structured for them uh, to help uh, apply the learning, to help uh, sort of encourage people to share their experiences with each other and kind of create that uh, community. I mean, Hopefully, that's honestly one of the most difficult things. Uh, yeah, it would be because at that point you're you're a little bit hands off. You're not there. You don't know how that's rolling out or how that's happening. But do you put something in place as part of your training to try to, you know, either is it train the trainer, like helping people be the facilitator for those discussions, and how do you how do you encourage or how do you try to make sure that those things are happening after the uh, training is done? Yeah, so we uh, put together a, a sort of a complete facilitator's guide that takes you through, you know, the whole session. It even has, uh, you don't have to use the script, but it even has chunks of script in there um, for anyone who maybe, you know, isn't sure what to say at different points. Um, so we provide people with that. And then, yes, we do a sort of train the trainer kind of facilitator support session um, where 
the people who are going to be facilitating that particular discussion can all get together. Hmm. So if we go through the session from start to finish, they can ask questions. Um, so when you roll out the trainings, do you have a do you always have a facilitator uh, on and uh, present for the training, or is it like the the leadership training? Is it certain kinds of training where you need that level, that extra level of participation? You mean in terms of having the actual learners themselves leading the conversation? Well, I guess what it's what it sounds like you're saying is that let's say you roll out your leadership training um, and you and you've included uh, discussions, you've included the the kind of thing you're talking about where people are engaging with each other, and you've got the facilitator's handbook. That that's implying there's a person on the ground who's going to be facilitating that, or is it still remote? So it is still remote um, okay. because the groups um, the groups are made up of staff from all different countries. Okay. Um, we have, there are some of our countries where we have enough for presence, uh, enough people that we could potentially do, uh, you know, groups in person, but that's really the exception to the rule in many of our, uh, many of the places that we work, you know, we might not have enough. Okay, so so that's interesting. So, so what you're saying is you're still using online capability, but you're, you, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, if you've stopped the instructor led and now you're doing facilitated discussions with the people in the training. That's interesting. It's an interesting way of using, uh, using online education. It's, it's, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah. Um, so the other thing, um, that we talked about was, uh, oh, I'm going to cut this out because I'm, I've lost my chain of chain of thought. Don't worry. I can get his team to cut this out. <laughs> All right. Um, I had a question on my mind and I've lost it. So let me ask you, Grace, where, where, where would you like to go right now that with the things we've talked about, what, what is coming to mind that you would like to talk about right now? And I'll cut this part out. Then I'll ask that question. Um, just running through the notes in my head. I feel like, uh, I, I don't throw them too fast. Do you want to talk at all about, um, and I don't remember your, the, the, the education, did you have to go through any kind of education to do the transformation from, uh, from, you know, into, into L and D? Did you have to go through, uh, you know, instructor led design classes? Did you have to take training to be, to do the kind of job you're doing right now? I'm not sure if I had to, but I did. Um, that is something that I, that I sort of sought out, um, okay. you know, as I was, you know, kind of making that transition and kind of getting more interested in instructional design. Um, you know, I uh, did a lot of just reading online, um, you know, uh, e-learning heroes community, um, I think is a great- All right, stop, I, I, because I don't want, I want it to be fresh. I've got, I've got a good question teed up. So what I'm gonna ask you about now is path. Right. So now it'd be like if you were talking to somebody else who's interested in getting into LD, because clearly this is quite different from what you did. How did you how did you prepare yourself? And so that that'll be the question that I ask. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so Grace, one of the things that um, would be interesting to is to know your path, especially for people that are interested in LD but uh, don't have the experience yet. Now you come from a fine arts background, quite different from from LD. How did you prepare yourself? Because clearly you're you're rolling out some very sophisticated uh, training. How did you prepare yourself? for this role? 
uh, from where you, given where you came from? Yeah, um, I mean, one of the one of the first things I did, and one of the things that I think really really kind of got me on the path, uh, you know, to instructional design, um, was picking up the ethics training that we have to do an ethics training every year. Um, we've been doing this one for for years. That was just if you imagine in your mind the worst online course you could ever take, <laughs> this was that is what this was. Um, you know, honestly, I just decided I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this anymore. <laughs> uh, and so I got online uh, and you know sort of educated myself about what was available. I um, picked up uh, uh, Storyline, and this was before Rise had come out, but um, you know picked up Storyline, watched a lot of tutorial videos. Um, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, um, there's a lot of information out there. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of blogs, there are a lot of different people in the space who are um, sharing their knowledge openly online. And then I also did some continuing education, uh, continuing education courses in instructional design, just to try and, uh, you know, sort of build up the vocabulary to kind of uh, get more familiar with some of the, the industry terms and Gagne and andragogy and, and those, you know, sorts of things to sort of back up the practical experience that I was already, already getting. Mm -hmm. um, the benefit, I think one of the benefits of working at a place that is, uh, that runs lean, doesn't have a lot of resources, is that often means that you're able to do things that maybe in another organization you wouldn't be able to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there's a little bit more freedom, you know, no one else is doing it. Oh, you want to pick that? Great. Yeah. Um, right, but it sounds like, uh, but, the, but to back that up, you you prepared yourself for that, so um, you couldn't have done it without uh, without learning the language of of, of L and D without, uh, you know, okay. And I think you're right. There's a lot of information out there now that if, if people want to educate themselves, uh, it seems to be a fairly uh, hot topic. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because of the pandemic where everything transitioned. I don't know, but maybe it's because I'm doing these interviews. But I hear so much more about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so we may have talked about everything, um, but I'm wondering, is, is there something that I should have asked you, uh, you know, something that you'd like to leave with people and just in terms of what you're doing or um, how you see what you're doing, maybe what, where you, where you want to go from here? Um, what, and I'm going to cut some of this out, Grace, because I'm, I'm, I'm word salading. <laughs> let me, let me stop for a second. I'm going to cut this whole part out. Um, before I do that, is there is there something that you would want to say? Because I should have I shouldn't ask you that question if there's nothing you want to say. Okay. Yeah. Because we've talked about the future, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think. Or, sorry, I guess I should. Say, I haven't. I have an answer. Should I? let you ask question again and the and the answer would be to uh is there something i you'd like to, i should have asked something you'd like is that, yeah, is that oh, yeah. great okay um grace i want to thank you for your time it's really really great of you to, to to give us this time for the interview um but tell me is there something i should have asked something that you would like to um something i would i should have asked you in this interview that you'd like to talk about yeah i mean i think that the The message or the the sort of philosophy about 
L&D and, and instructional design in general that that I want to spread is really that you know we're here that we're here to enable learning that we're here to create the environment that enables students to do their own learning not mm. actually to teach them anything um, so I would just really encourage you know anyone working in this space to, to think of it that way and to think of it more think more about you know how can I enable this person to put this knowledge into practice rather than you know you can get distracted with you know the newest technology or how can I make this look prettier or you know, how can I improve the user experience of this button set or something um, you know I think to to kind of step back and just think about you know, I think about like a, a sandbox or, uh, you know, just to create that space to kind of let people learn and make mistakes and exchange with each other. Um, because that's I really what's going to be the most effective, regardless of the topic uh, or the audience. You know, it's a very interesting perspective. Um, it's, it's kind of a perspective shift in a way. So uh, it's not it's, it's a little more humble. Uh, which is, I think what you see is yourself as um, if you're providing the right support, you're enabling people to do the, what they can do. It gives it gives the person in the training a lot more, I hate to use the word agency because it's so overused, but um, um, it, it's it's theirs to pick up if they if they want. And you're just trying to make it as easy and possible and, and create every opportunity you can. It's a, it's a nice perspective, I think, for looking at how you're working in L&D. Anyway, on that note, um, I'm going to thank you very much again for your time. And uh, yes, I, I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thanks, Grace. Yeah, thank you.